Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 14, I want to read just a few verses of scripture there, starting with verse number 15 tonight, <clears throat> and I, uh, well, I, I won't say that, I was going to say I won't hold you long, but I, I'm really endeavoring not to. John 14, verse 15, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you and I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you for a little while this evening <clears throat> felt impressed this afternoon to go this direction I want to minister a very simple message tonight I want to minister this to perhaps some people it will fall on some ears that are in need of this. I want to minister simply, you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Hallelujah. Let's pray together tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. God, we're appreciative, Lord, of your presence that we have felt thus far in this place. And I'm asking, oh God, that that same spirit that we have felt, Lord, up to this point of time would continue with us, God, through the remainder of this service. Anoint my mind, God, and my lips, and I pray, God, somebody that's sitting in the sound of my voice, Lord, if this is a tailor-made word for them, God, that it would be fit, Lord, for them, God, that they could leave this place with encouragement, they could leave this place, Lord Jesus, God, with, God, somehow an appeasement, Lord, from heaven, out upon their souls, Lord, and we'll thank you and we'll praise you, God, for what you accomplish in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Of the church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor and tell them you are not alone. You are not alone. Thank God. Everybody's getting real happy about that. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1. There are various times that God spoke about aspects of his creation as being good. He spoke concerning the light that whenever he made the light, he saw the light and it was good to him. The dry land that he had appeared that he called earth, he seen that it was good. The gathering together of the waters unto one place, that was, that was very good that he called seas. The trees of the field, the herbs of the field that bore seed after their own kind. He described all of those things as being good. The two great lights, the one to rule over the day and the other to rule over the night, the Lord said without any hesitation that those things were good. The beast of the field, the fowl of the air, uh, the fish of the sea were all according to his estimation. They were Good. As a matter of fact, in the closing, uh, seemingly of the creative acts of God in a 
casting his eyes over his shoulders, if you will, said that everything that he made, everything that he done, it was just very, very good, very good. And then in Genesis chapter number two, the theme of the goodness of God seems to continue. And he created and formed in his image and his likeness man. And he gave every detail, if you will, concerning that creation of man and uh, what took place with the perfect garden, if you will, of Eden that he described to us as well as possible in, in the scriptures in which we read in Genesis 2. However, somewhere along the line around verse number 18, uh, we find something that according to the estimation of God, his theme and thread of thought along the way of everything that he creates and everything that he makes is good and it is very good and it is something that is deeply accomplished. In verse 18, we come along the journey in chapter two where he comes across something that is not good disrupts the flow if you will of the theme of scripture up to this point of time with the trees being good and mankind being good we stump our foot upon a, uh, a abnormality if you will we finally come to something that is not good and the thing that God regarded as not good the first thing might I even say that God regarded as not being good in scripture is that it was not good that man should be alone the first thing noted in scripture, not the second or the third, but the first thing noted was it was not good for an individual to be alone. During World War II, the Germans and the Japanese conducted some experiments to find the best type of punishment which would extract information from their prisoners of war. And can you only begin to imagine, I, I would hate to be a part of that uh, type of scheme that was trying different things to see what would be uh, the best mode of punishment. But whenever they got to their conclusion of what worked best, it was not forced labor, it was not torture that worked best, it was not starvation or keeping back food or water from the prisoner that worked best. But the most effective method and tool was solitary confinement. They realized that after days of keeping a person alone, quarantined, isolated, by themselves in complete darkness, chained perhaps to a wall or to something there in the silence, that after a period of time of that, men would start to almost tell anything because they're just languishing there thinking about their circumstances, how they got to where they are, not having anybody to talk to, their tongue would become very loose, ready to tell all whenever they were in the confines of isolation all by themselves. So the harshest form of punishment that there could be is someone coming to a place, being all alone and by themselves. You, you start to think things whenever you're by yourself and alone that you would normally not think whenever you're in the company of others. People have reached to a certain destiny of almost insanity whenever nobody else has been around them and they've been secluded to a place of isolation. I dare to say tonight that the enemy of our soul works in a very much so similar path that sometimes he likes to impress upon God's people that they are alone. If it is not a literal state that sometimes we find ourselves in, it is a mental state that he would sometimes back us into a corner 
and make us try to feel to make us feel as though we are all alone. He wants to corner us in a room, if you will, and make us think that some of the things that we are experiencing right now, nobody else has ever experienced. Some of the battles that I'm fighting right now, nobody else in the world has ever battled. And the problem with isolation, the problem with being quarantined or even thinking that you're all alone is this. You'll begin to do things you would not normally do whenever you had the company or the feeling that somebody else was with you or walking alongside you or was your friend. You'll start believing some things that you normally would not believe whenever you are all alone. Someone say amen. amen. Adam no doubt probably thought everything was swell and well. Amen. Until here came the animals that were parading before him. And his job description included naming them and giving them names and having them come before him, seeing uh, the pairs and the male and the female of the different kind of beasts. Adam probably felt pretty good until he realized that he was all alone that he was lonely that as all they as all of them come up each had a mate but here was here was Adam lonely he was there without and loneliness is a part of what does make us search for a mate you know there's a tendency inside of mankind we don't like being by ourselves i mean truly by ourselves i understand some of us would rather work alone than work with a group uh, that uh, personally that's me I'd rather work by myself than work with anybody else it's just the way that, that, that I am tempered amen but to truly be alone without even if you wanted to somebody else to confide in that is a very very tragic thing scary thing to consider there was a four year old girl who she got too close to a construction smudge pot where they were smelting iron and things of that nature and her clothes caught on fire her legs were very terribly scarred as a result of that and in the third grade she was asked if you could have one wish what would it be and whenever she wrote what that was, she says, I want everyone to have legs like mine. It wasn't that she wanted to be like them, but she wanted somebody that could be where she was, what she was going through, what she had dealt with. I, I endeavor tonight to say that sitting in the sound of my voice tonight, there are people sitting on pews that wish sometimes they just had somebody else that knew the road that they were walking, knew the circumstances that they were dealing with. Because some that are sitting, I know... We're not all the same, but some of us sitting under the sound of my voice, amen, on the job, they are all alone. At home, they are all alone. In their family and natural, amen, processes of life, they are all alone. The only time they feel like anybody else is where they are, walking where they are, doing where they are is when they come to the house of God. And they're among brothers and sisters in Christ. But I've come to declare to that one that's all alone in your family, in your house, and on your job, that you are not alone tonight. You have a great God almighty, amen, that is there with you, walking beside you. And as we've already sung, if you can't feel him and you can't see him, you can know he is still there with you. We take for granted sometimes as Christians having a Christian home and Christian family. Be able to go home and talk about service to the one that enjoyed that service with us at church. We take for granted sometimes the ability of walking or working, if you will, around Christian men and women that from even here to the job arena, we can talk about service on Sunday night, about service, what happened on service on Sunday night or Wednesday. And oh, what a joy it is to be free in your conversation concerning that. 
But there's some sitting here tonight, they don't have that privilege. There's some sitting here tonight where they go home, all of the excitement, the grandeur of a Sunday night service is housed in their heart and their mind. And the one that's sitting there in that room with them could care less whether or not they heard about what happened at church or didn't happen at church. And when they're on the job, there's people that's sitting there among them. They couldn't give a monkey's uncle for what happened on Wednesday night. Amen. Or during revival. Amen. They're consumed with their life. And if anything, trying to buy for the attention of that Christian to cross over and enter their world and they're talking about their party and they're talking about their alcohol and they're talking about their lewd things with women amen and they're being filled with all that when they just wish I had somebody here that I could share with what God did on Sunday or what God did on Sunday morning I'm talking to that person that may be sitting here tonight you are not alone I know it looks like nobody else of that similar walk is with you in work or at home but God God has not left you alone. Bishop, I couldn't help but think. Bishop came back several weeks ago. And uh, from, from Galesburg, Illinois. And he had been up there with Pastor Aldridge. And they're just having a great revival up there. And uh, he began to talk about the great revival they have in particularly among the children. And uh, he was describing to me of one particular girl that comes in church every, every time it's church time. And she just has a smile on her face. And she's up at the front. She's worshiping and she's magnifying God. And she's giving it all that she got. And Bishop continued to tell me, though, where they got these kids. They get these kids from some of the project housing that was there in their city and in their community. And I'm wondering to myself, hear that little girl coming in with a smile on her face. She's dancing, she's shouting. I couldn't but think, Bishop, amen, that while she's there, she's just enjoying the presence of God. But only God only knows what she endures between Monday and Tuesday and between Thursday and Saturday. God only knows what her life, amen, is somehow exposed to, the scenes that she is exposed to, the smell and the aroma of drugs and alcohol that she is opposed, uh, somehow exposed to but when she gets in the presence of God she's smiling, she's dancing she's worshiping but you know what the secret is that she caught she realized her God wasn't just resident in a house, he didn't just have an abode there at that church but when she went home and seemingly she was alone, she was not alone, seemingly when nobody else was there that had a threat of commonality, she still had God You're not alone in this thing, folks. You're not alone. Being alone doesn't necessarily mean there isn't anyone around. Because there have been plenty of accounts recorded where people have fought the feelings of loneliness while being in the midst of even some of the largest crowds, some of the largest arenas, yet feeling all alone. A crowd does not protect you from being alone. Having a mate does not protect you from being alone. A large family doesn't buffer you from being alone. You can have all those things and still feel like you're alone. The only way 
that you could ever feel like, no matter what your circumstance may be, no matter what the outplay of your life and acquaintances and relationships may be, the only way you can ever feel is though there's somebody there that understands, somebody there that knows, somebody there that's walked in those shoes, is if you've been born again of the water and the spirit and you have that spirit of Christ Jesus inside of you. That's the reason why there's people just beyond these, these walls here tonight, that they're in a crowd tonight, but still yet there's something crying out into them for some type of fellowship that goes beyond their arena. There's somebody with a mate tonight that's still saying I'm alone. There's somebody in a large family tonight seemingly has all the people they could want in the world but they're still alone. Why? Because they've not had God. They've not had Jesus. They've not had the maker. Amen. In their life. And the only way that problem will ever be solved is if they get to know him. If they come to know him. He will not leave us comfortless. He will come to us. Mother Teresa said one time, she said the greatest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It is the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, being deserted, all alone. So how do we, how do we combat this disease, I'll call it that, of loneliness? How do we safeguard ourselves from its effects John 14, Jesus is comforting his disciples with some words. He's on the verge of departing. He is on the verge of leaving them for a time. But he reassures them, boys, if I leave, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to take you to where I am at. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you all by yourself. He said, I'm going to send the comforter. In verse 26, that he revealed that comforter as being the Holy Ghost. In verse 16, he describes that comforter being with them through Jesus Christ. But soon hereafter, he would be in them by virtue of the Holy Ghost. That comforter they would receive on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number two. And Romans 8 and 11 states these words, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If you have received the spirit of God in this place, rest assured, you're definitely not alone. It dwells within you. You might not see it. Sometimes you might not feel it, but you have not been left comfortless. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. Jesus said that. And his spirit that was with them now would abide in them. And therefore he still remains with them always. So Christian friends, son or daughter that might have a lost or unsaved loved one or spouse, you're not alone when you go home tonight. You're not alone. Oh God, help me right now. I know maybe for the larger population that is not the case, but there's people here and people in our church that do walk into those scenarios at night. I want to talk to us as a body because it's so very many times 
to cater to the needs of the majority and forget the minority. Even in church. And sometimes even in ministry, Brother Mason, I find myself maybe even going to those minority places. And at times the majority is looking at me like, what are you saying? I know this might not be where you're living, but the person beside you is living there. And I felt like in the spirit tonight, they need a reassuring word that they were not alone. David said in Psalms 139 and verse 7, he said, whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. What were you saying, David? Saying it doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter how far or the extent that you go, you'll never be alone as long as Christ and God is in your life. You'll never be alone. I may be talking to someone right now that's walked the path of this world, and you have, and maybe even entered this building tonight with the feelings of being alone. Perhaps you even sat here tonight and you feel like, yeah, this one's beside me, and yeah, this church is all around me, but I still feel alone. You do not have to leave here with that type of feeling. You don't have to leave here with that type of void and vacancy in your life. You can walk out of here, walk back into an environment that you know so so clearly in every detail of and feel like somebody is there with you, uh, helping you, uh, supporting you, uh, being the next breath that you breathe that's going to help you endure whatever is in front of you. The old, the old little poem was this he said one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord many scenes from my life flashed across the sky and each scene I noticed footprints in the sand sometimes there were two sets of footprints other times there was only one this bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering from anguish sorrow or defeat I could not see I could see only one set of footprints so I said to the Lord you promised me Lord that if I followed you you would walk with me always but I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life there has only been one set of footprints in the sand why and when I needed you most you have not been there for me and the Lord replied the years when you have seen only one set of footprints my child is when I carried you friend you are not alone you are not alone whether it's on the mountain or in the valley you are not alone whether it's in your sickness or in your health you are not alone whether it's whenever you have all the money in the world or not one dime to spare you are not alone God's never left us we have felt left we have felt forgotten there may never be people around us at all times but we're never Never alone. He's promised those disciples, I'll not leave you comfortless. And I love the next words. I, I will come to you. Laced even within those words is comfort. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. (laughs) 
He didn't say I'll send a notable ambassador. He didn't say I would send an appropriate substitute. But he said, if I go, he said, I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. God has not superimposed in your life something of a second degree. Whenever it comes to your loneliness, God's going to come to you. He's not sent an ambassador to do his work for you or another person or a prophet. God said, I'll show up in the circumstance. I'll show up in the loneliness and I will come to you. There needs to be some type of consolation in knowing that God is not sending a representative. He'll come all by himself. He doesn't have to have anybody speak for him or represent him. He can come in a moment's notice. I will come to you. We got our, we got Brother Weisenberger here. Let me preach to Brother Weisenberger, all right? You're not alone. Different times in my life and the different things I've done, I had the opportunity to do nursing home ministry and preach at nursing homes. There was something I always tried to convey to those dear residents and that they weren't alone. Because there were times you could go to the register of where they had visits or not from their family. Brother Penrod, and you could look back sometimes for months and no one, and I state again, no one went and seen some of those people that were in that nursing home. And you know what I'd tell those residents whenever I went to that nursing home? I'd tell them this, listen folks, Although you might not have been visited many times and maybe a visitation has been non-existent altogether, I want you to realize that Monday through Sunday, God signed his name on every line to every room. I need to preach to Brother Weisenberger tonight that whenever he was always there for somebody else and he rendered a hand of help and he was there to give money and he was there to offer a prayer. Amen. And sometimes it may seem in that room there's few faces far between. And I know the family goes, and that's fine. And I'm not preaching to the church. Just hear me right now. That when there's few faces far between, I know undoubtedly of different times I've went. Amen. There was somebody there before I got there and it was God. Because whenever we said a little prayer and tongues started flowing and tears started going, I felt the presence of the almighty at times I felt even greater there than what I felt here God was already there you are not alone it doesn't matter if you're just the feeble words of a child or if you're in your elderly years and golden years of decrepitness God is not going to leave you alone (laughs) someone say you're not alone Just as Abraham wasn't alone in his pursuit for a city whose builder and maker was God, you're not alone. Just as Moses wasn't alone while he lay in the basket of bulrushes in the river waiting to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, you're not alone. Just as Daniel wasn't alone while he slept in a pit full of lions, you're not alone. Just as the three Hebrew boys, amen, were in a furnace and enduring a fire, they weren't alone. You are not alone. Just as Job wasn't alone when everything seemingly attached to his life, that composed his life was stripped away from him you are not alone just as David wasn't alone when he was running as a fugitive from Saul for fear of his life church family you are not alone let me tell you you'll find a position in life you'll find a stage in life that will no doubt lend itself to an environment of loneliness. 
if not literally, perceptively, you will find yourself somewhere along in this journey sometime perceptively in a position in a place that it'll seem like you're by yourself. You're alone. Nobody can identify with where you're at. Nobody can identify with the circumstances that's bombarded your life. Nobody can identify with the feelings that you're feeling right now. The doubt and the fear and the confusion. And the ploy of your enemy is this. If he can make you think for real that you're the only one, he'll cause you to drown in that. Because if there's no other precedent, if there's no other story, if there's nothing else that I can, I can cast a stone and, and somehow just, if there's nothing else that I can just use as a basis for where I'm at right now, you'll drown in that. I, I oftentimes tell uh, couples that are getting married or about to get married or have been married, oftentimes tell them this, and I've just made it uh, a, a little uh, a part of, of the marriage counseling that I do before premarital counseling in six months six months after a person's married is their last marriage counseling. My reason for that is this. It's because as young couples they enter to a time of life together they start facing some problems and things and we do what we do tunnel vision. We start to believe we're the only one that has those type of problems. And we're a little insecure about talking to anybody else about it because lo and behold they don't have that and what type of light will that shine on us or shade us? And so I do that to take away, if you will, that intimidation. So that six months in, I ask them, how are things? Where are you at? What's going on? And try to be very transparent enough where you can see through me. Through the period of leading up to that, let them know where our pitfalls were. Where our tragedies were. Why? Because it would be a horrid thing for them to enter into a married life and some things to come up. And them start to think that they're the only ones that ever had problems like that. You know what that will cause them to do? Start looking over their shoulder about maybe we shouldn't continue this relationship. They start drowning in the idea that they're the only ones. So maybe we just need to end this. In the church it happens just as well folks. People get into deep depressions of aloneness. And they feel low out. They're experiencing what they're feeling. Maybe, the, maybe, that, that maybe they're going to their prayer closet and praying and it's hitting the ceiling, coming back down. And maybe that lasts for months and they feel like they're the only one that's ever happened to. Let me tell you, you're not alone. Maybe you enter to the church house sometimes and you raise your hands and in all in all, it just seems to be a mechanical thing that you know this is what you should do, but you're not feeling anything with it and you're thinking, my God, what does everybody probably think about me if they knew what was going on? Let me tell you firsthand, you're not alone. It is not always roses and it's not always smell good flowers. There are thorns along the way. But let me tell you this son, daughter of God, the one sitting beside you may have been right where you are right now. The one across the aisle may be there tomorrow. We gotta come to a group understanding as the church that whatever we go through, we're not alone. Yeah, every T might not be crossed the same and every I dot the same, but we are not alone. And if you cannot get consolation from a brother, a sister, a husband, or a friend, you need to reach out to God. He's there with you. He's there for you. He's not trying to work against you. Just reach out to him. He's the comforter. 
In closing, I want to use this verse. Musicians may come. Isaiah 9 and 6. He said, for unto us a child is born. Stand with me. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a, a son. Unto us. Everybody say, unto us. Unto us, the Son is given. You're not alone. He's been given to me. He's been given to you for whatever stage of life. So take comfort. He's not left you comfortless. Consider, if you will, real quickly, in the book of Genesis... In the book of Genesis, Jacob is returning back home. He's going to meet his brother Esau. Whenever he left the land, he had a staff. He comes out and he has two bands of men, maidservants, women servants, livestock. He sets these all up to go ahead of him. He doesn't know what may befall him when he meets his brother who in his heart and mind wanting to kill him. First left. And so the Bible says that he sends them, he sends them over the river Jabbok there. He sends them over, even sends his wives, sons and daughters over. The Bible says that Jacob was alone. Yet in the same breath it said Jacob was alone. Came an angel of the Lord. Began to wrestle with him that night. Kids weren't there. Wife wasn't there. All those bands of people that he grown accustomed to be around wasn't there. He was literally physically alone. But the Spirit of God came and engaged. Brother Pat, you're never alone. Thyward network kicking in the back of that bicycle. Going home to Michelle and working with those guys. He's not alone. He'll sit here on this pew and walk in the door by himself. Sit there by himself. He's not alone. Sister Nadine has came here for X number of years. Drove great distance to God's house. Many times no one else in the car but herself. I've seen her stand up during songs and preaching, lift hands, and the glory of God just follow her. Nobody at home, I guarantee you, cared much for what happened in that service. You know who she talked about? What she, who she talked to about it whenever she got home as she was slipping off to sleep? God, I thank you for that blessing you gave me tonight. Oh, let's just bow our heads in this place. I will not leave you comfortless, he says.
I'll come to you. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.